Chapter Thirteen, Part A of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Evans. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter Thirteen, Part A. The Life Cycle. The marvel of life is nowhere more wonderfully displayed than in the development of the individual plant or animal from its minute beginning, and the continuation of its life in offspring which in turn undergo their mortal span, handing on their life to other generations yet unborn, adds to the wonder. Man, through his intelligence and as a result of his inventive research, has made many marvelous things, and some of his creations are little short of miraculous. Take, for example, the most intricate product of human manufacture, a battleship, into which hundreds of tons of steel and other material have been fashioned, forming a fabric more complex in its gross anatomy than any created being, of huge size and great speed, with armor to protect its vitals, and guns whose projectiles leave their muzzles at a velocity which would, if continued, belt the globe in half a day, dealing death and destruction to others like itself beyond the limits of the horizon, capable of combating the elements, safe alike in calm or storm, and possessing, as every sailor knows, individual characteristics which seem almost animate. But this marvel is, after all, a mere mechanism, the product of human skill in design and fruition, and between it and the simplest of nature's children there is a great gulf fixed which human intelligence will never bridge. For organisms possess the power of procreation, and can hand on their life and characteristics to their children, while the mechanism will sooner or later reach the end of its being, and nothing will be left of it but a pile of wreckage and memory. Reproduction In Chapter 2 we discuss the life processes of a relatively primitive organism, the paramecium, and we found that reproduction was accomplished by the process of dividing into two, with occasional conjugation of two like individuals between which there is a mutual exchange of nuclear material, presumably for the purpose of increasing the range of variation in the offspring. But the process of division, although apparently simple, is in reality a much more complex procedure, owing to the intricate character of the nucleus, and all cell division is complicated by a peculiar structure of the nucleus known as the mitotic or karyokinetic figure. Under ordinary conditions in the resting state, the nucleus contains chromatin substance in the form of granules arranged in a more or less definite network known as the reticulum. Just before cell division takes place, these granules become rearranged into a complexly wound thread or spireme, and later this is divided across its length into a variable number of short chromatin bodies, the chromosomes the number of which is the same for all the cells of a given species of organism. This number bears no relationship, however, to the complexity of the organism as a whole, or to its rank in the animal kingdom. For in some protozoa the chromosomes are more numerous than in the cells of man. 
next there forms the so-called mitotic figure consisting of two oppositely placed centrosomes between which run fibers of kinetic substance diverging toward the middle to form a spindle-shaped figure the chromosomes being arranged in its center while in this position in the figure or even before they have attained it each chromosome splits lengthwise the resultant halves known as the daughter chromosomes being apparently drawn apart by the mechanism of the mitotic figure the cell then divides by a constriction passing through the equator of the nuclear figure so that one half of the accurately divided daughter chromosomes now lie in each resultant cell the nuclei reform their characteristic reticular condition and the two cells are either entirely separated that's reproduction, or still remain attached, that's cleavage, and are ready to take up their vital functions as did the parent cell before them. In conjugation of two cells, such as paramecium, the division of the micronuclei preceding the actual exchange of nuclear material is affected invariably by the karyokinetic process. This means, of course, that the chromatin, with all of its hereditary traits, will have been most accurately shared between the two conjugants, a result which could hardly be obtained by any simpler method. Origin of Sex Dimorphism Among protozoa, the union of similar cells is, of course, frequent, but among flagellates and vorticella-like infusorians there are numerous cases in which the uniting individuals differ from each other, both in form and origin, in greater or less degree. In the bell animalcule, vorticella, often found attached to weeds in our freshwater ponds, the normal adult is born upon a stalk capable of contraction like a spiral spring these individuals are bereft of cilia for locomotion having only a band of prehensile cilia around the margin of the peristome the portion surrounding the mouth occasionally one of these divides repeatedly giving rise to a number of free-swimming individuals one of which will unite with a stationary individual of normal size the union differing in two respects from that of paramecium in its permanence and in the size and other contrasts of the conjugants certain of the colonial flagellates vovocini constitute one of the groups which lie within the neutral zone between the plant and animal kingdoms in fact there is no clear-cut dividing line between animals and plants at the bottom of the series good authorities such as parker and haswell class these forms as animals but the fact of their having a cellulose membrane green chromatophores and the metabolism characteristic of most plants is good evidence for their vegetal tendencies they exhibit within the group a beautiful gradation to the condition of full sex differentiation the successive steps being represented by the genera gonium pandorina eudorina and volvox gonium the simplest of the volvocini are single-celled non-colonial forms the individuals living wholly independently as in other protozoa generally however the volvocini are colonial organisms consisting of more or fewer similar cells united in a permanent association 
of these the simplest is the genus gonium this consists of a flattened aggregate of sixteen cells in a tiny plate-like colony of which each individual being provided with two flagella lives and feeds in spite of its association with the rest as a free individual when the time for reproduction occurs the cells separate and each one by repeated division gives rise to a new colony pandorina pandorina is also a sixteen-celled colony but instead of being plate-like the aggregate is approximately spherical the individual cells being embedded in a jelly-like mass each cell has two flagella as in gonium by means of which the colony as a whole progresses through the water while each individual cell eats and grows and performs the various life functions when pandorina is ready to multiply each of the component cells divides repeatedly until it has given rise to sixteen cell daughter colonies and these are liberated by the dissolving of the enclosing jelly the daughter colonies then separate and each grows until it has attained the optimum size of the species after a number of generations and generally with the advancing season the contained cells divide into eight rather than sixteen cells and the daughter cells are not all alike in size though the distinction is very small these eight cells now separate and swim about by means of their flagella and if two of them meet they conjugate or fuse together to make a single cell which forms a tough protective envelope around itself and passes into a resting condition remaining dormant over a drought or throughout the winter with the coming of clement conditions the outer wall breaks and the protoplasm emerges as a free-swimming cell which straightaway divides to form a new sixteen-celled colony eudorina in eudorina the colony is spherical as before consisting of sixteen or thirty-two cells each of which may give rise to a new colony by repeated division this may recur but not indefinitely and sooner or later conjugation must take place herein it is that the chief distinction from the pandorina is shown for in eudorina the conjugating cells are of very different kinds since certain of the individuals in the colony do not divide but increase slightly in size and become spherical at mega gametes while others break up into sixteen small elongated bodies each bearing a pair of flagella these small cells microgametes escape from the envelope of the parent colony but remain attached to one another until the bundle on colliding with one of the larger spherical cells breaks up and conjugation takes place between the smaller flagellated swimming cells and the larger non-flagellastic spherical cells each new cell zygote which is thus formed develops a cellulocyst and passes into a resting condition whence it emerges to develop a new colony volvox volvox is a large hollow spherical colony consisting of thousands of cells held together in a single external layer by gelatinous material and connected with each other by fine protoplasmic threads 
when full grown the colony reproduces by certain cells becoming enormously larger through having reserve food material stored within them these egg cells then divide by simple division into many small cells held together by a common envelope and thus form daughter colonies which escaping from the parent colony increase to the full optimum of size by growth and repeated division on the other hand certain cells may divide into bundles of sixty-four or one hundred and twenty-eight slender rod-like bodies each provided with flagella and microgametes while others form the huge egg cells or megagametes those which are not thus chosen for reproduction really the somatic cells of the colony remain for a time unchanged while performing the ordinary nutritive and locomotive functions and finally die as they have no part whatever in the propagation of new generations a microgamete and megagamete preferably the offspring of separate colonies then conjugate forming the resting cell which after a period of quiescence develops into a new colony steps toward complexity two great biologic principles are taught by this series of forms the beginnings of physiological division of labor and sex dimorphism in the forms below volvox wherein all the cells are alike in performing both the ordinary activities of the colony and the reproductive function as well there is no division of labor but in volvox where certain cells only are concerned in reproduction these become the germ cells in contrast with the somatic cells of the colony and thus distinct division of labor between them arises comparable to that which obtains among the cells and tissues of the metazoa gonium shows not the slightest sign of sex differentiation in pandorina sex distinction is foreshadowed by the slight difference in size in the conjugating cells in eudorina this distinction is well established and in volvox sexual dimorphism is complete meaning of sex differentiation the sex differentiation which we have traced seems to be directly contingent upon the necessity of storing food material for the nourishment of the coming generation where the resultant colony is relatively small both conjugating cells can share this burden but with the increased necessity for stored food comes proportionate inactivity and consequent difficulty of conjugation until size differentiation appears then with the gradual assumption of the function of nourishment by the larger individual and its entailed further increase in size and decrease in mobility comes the release of the smaller from this onerous duty and a consequent diminution in size and increased activity thus it comes about that the megagamete which we may call the female element or ovum becomes more and more anabolic and sedentary and the microgamete or male element to which the name sperm may be given becomes progressively more catabolic and motile being in its final analysis reduced to little more than a nucleus and a locomotive filament the means whereby the sperms are rendered smaller through repeated division also increases their numbers 
and ensures the fertilization of a proportionately greater number of ova than if the ratio between the two were nearly equal thus increasing the chances for the survival of the species weismann's theory of bisexual need bisexual parentage is so widely prevalent both in the plant and animal kingdoms that it must subserve some very real need in organic economy weismann looked upon it mainly as a means of causing or increasing individual variation which as we have seen is a prime prerequisite to evolution in the process known as the maturation of the egg a considerable proportion of the chromosomes are removed and pass into the so-called polar bodies which are in reality abortive ova in like manner the chromosomes of a sperm mother cell or spermatogon are divided among the several resultant sperms hence the several ova and sperms differ materially in their chromosome content and through their fusion various combinations of the hereditary tendencies arise and these give origin to a high degree of actual variability in the resultant offspring parthenogenesis parthenogenesis that's greek for virgin and production is comparable to asexual reproduction in that there is but one parent but with this important distinction that whereas in asexual reproduction sex differentiation is not yet attained in parthenogenesis both sexes have been fully developed in the race but for reasons of expediency the male has been suppressed the female having the power of producing young without impregnation this usually occurs where rapidity of multiplication is an essential as in the plant lice which were mentioned in chapter nine other instances wherein this normally occurs are the scale insects or coccidae the ostracod and philopod crustacea and the galley wasps in some of these the seminal receptacle wherein the sperms are stored during coition to be utilized later for the impregnation of the eggs is still present and fully developed showing no signs of degeneracy in the parthenogenetic generations of plant lice aphids on the other hand the receptacle has entirely disappeared one would infer therefore that in the last mentioned group parthenogenesis is an old institution whereas in the forms first mentioned it has not been the habit of the race for a very long time in fact in the crustacean apis cancriformis the males are extinct in certain colonies and present in others which may also be true of cyprus showing that in the first instance at least parthenogenesis is not yet fully established artificial parthenogenesis experimental biology especially in the hands of such experts as professors jacques loeb and yves de loge has shown that under certain abnormal conditions the ovum may segment and produce more or less of an embryo or even a young animal without impregnation loeb showed first that he could increase or alter the range of action on the part of the male element as for instance by rendering sea-water faintly alkaline the sperms of diverse starfish could be made to fertilize the ova of sea urchins although in normal sea-water this did not occur 
this suggested further experimentation and he found that if a little ascetic formic or butyric acid was added to the seawater and the eggs placed therein and later transferred to normal seawater they began to show the initial stages of nuclear division but when the unimpregnated ova were transferred from the acidified seawater to that to which common salt had been added thus increasing its salinity they developed normally and at the usual rate and formed free-swimming larvae several different sorts of worms and mollusks also responded successfully to similar experiments deloge and others have shown that aside from the chemical stimuli mentioned above artificial parthenogenesis may also be induced by mechanical means such as a gentle brushing or a pinprick or by exposing the egg to electric discharges generally while the egg may thus be made to divide and redivide nothing comes of it occasionally however success is attained for deloge reared a sea urchin from an unimpregnated egg and levy reared young frogs the latter's experiment was the pricking of frogs eggs with a platinum needle which was sometimes first dipped in salt or in the blood of the mother he repeatedly reared tadpoles by this aspermic that's greek without seed development and three times he succeeded in developing miniature frogs one curious thing was that the nuclei were smaller than the normal and levy believes that they had only half the normal number of chromosomes these experiments show very clearly the occurrence in ordinary fertilization of several distinct things including the mingling of the paternal and the maternal inheritance and also some dynamic influence either a stimulus to cleavage or the removal of some hindrances thereunto end of chapter thirteen part a recording by don evans www.lazuli.com